This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Ronnie Mauricio Brett Beatty Power Hour. No, 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 wait. No, wait. Different show. This is simply amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. Taryn Sharma. Guys, uh, Mets baseball is in full swing. Everyone's excited with very good reason. Uh, the Mets are looking solid, and that's pretty much across the board. The young guys are already making impacts and you know it's it's still early and there's not a whole lot to put a lot of you know weight into right now but certainly are encouraged taryn how we feeling pal well the mets lost again today so i'm bummed oh my god two and two man Uh, you know epler's gone cohen's got to reshuffle everything (laughs) um i thought it was uh today particularly was fun sorry they had uh so many of those uh, in-game interviews, and I don't necessarily love those during the regular season, but during spring training, it's uh, it's enlightening. It's fun. It, it kind of uh, grounds the the uh, the broadcast, and and so it was nice to hear from both teams. I think both teams have a lot to look forward to this year. The the Cardinals obviously uh, fell short in the wild card round as well. But they have a lot of young talent, so it was cool to hear about the the different sides. They had uh, Kylie McDaniel on talking about uh, different prospects from both sides. So, um, yeah, it was fun. And, you know, anytime that you have uh, a chance to hear from Buck, I think it, it's definitely not something that I take for granted. So it was cool. Uh, I enjoyed the broadcast today. You know, I only caught bits and pieces. Uh, I was working. I was able to catch the end, which had a lot of excitement. But, man, I am always so happy. And, again, last year when they brought him into the booth, I think it was a huge win for ESPN. But, you know, David Cohn, man. Coney is such a great analyst. Um, you know, if the Mets aren't on or if it's a different time time frame or time slot, I'll always watch the Yankees. And if Coney's in the booth, I enjoy it thoroughly. I actually don't mind Michael Kay either, but I, I, I'm probably in the minority there. You, um, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, that that's a probably discussion for another day. But, you know, Coney, he brings so much, you know, not only experience as a pitcher, um, you know, being familiar as a Mets fan, of course, is always nice. He's nice to hear from him, stuff like that. But, the the analytics and the data and the stuff that he's able to grasp and then kind of convey to the viewer is so so impressive man i'm not sure if you read his book with uh jack curry but excellent 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 stuff um but yeah i didn't catch a whole bunch of it i did get to see ronnie uh ronnie mauricio hit another monster home run not like sunday sunday that was the i think was impressive but he certainly looks comfortable doesn't he he does, yeah, and it, it makes you kind of wonder if he's uh, between this and his performance on the Dominican Winter League where he took home the MVP, uh, if he's really started to figure it out, you know, and and if he has, does he force his way into the Mets' plans? Um, what is his ability to play in the corner outfield uh, spot? So 
I think it's something that we've discussed in the past and and it's something that Epler said today when he was in the booth, uh, never say never in terms of any of these guys being able to force their way up and, and break camp with the team. But um, I, I think that Ronnie Mauricio, what he's able to do right now, especially with these moonshots, it, it increases his trade value that much more. And if they can keep him playing a premium position right now, uh, like shortstop, which, you know, that's currently the plan so far as I know, uh, I, I think that that makes his trade value uh, huge. It, it restores it to where it has been in the past. And and I think that that's really exciting just for the Mets organizationally, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is this is the goal. This is the blueprint to sustain success. And it's nice to have an owner that's willing to, you know, go above and beyond, you know, crush records for as far as payroll. But you know, having a solid foundation to build on and hopefully, you know, deflect some of that cost later on, or at least, you know, redistribute that cost in, in a still just as efficient way. You know, if you're bringing up Beatty and Mauricio and, and Alvarez, let's say Vientos too, because he's having a real nice spring and Alex Ramirez looks good. And, yeah. and uh, William Lugo had a home run just before Ronnie's today, but you have a bright future. Um, You know, having the the ability and the and the options to go whichever way they want with these things you know it, it's it's almost you know assured that someone's going to be traded at some point if the Mets are contending and if they have to make moves and just to go ahead and reinforce you'll you'll have to assume that they're going to be shopping um someone who might not be in their future plans and you know with all logical thought um, at hand, yeah, Ronnie Mauricio would probably be a candidate. And yeah. the higher his value rises, of course, the more uh, options the Mets will have when it comes to make those decisions. But, you know, he played third base in the Dominican Winter League and by all accounts played well out there. The World Base, uh, excuse me, the World Baseball Classic is coming up. He's going to be able to certainly get reps at third base, um, if not daily. Uh, you know, at least getting getting his his innings here and there. You would expect him, Beatty and Alvarez, to probably get a, a lot of time. Uh, you know, with the um, with the big club or a big camp uh, while guys are away at the classic. But you know, I'm kind of hoping that these guys do force the organization's hand. And I'm not foreseeing uh, Ronnie Mauricio being in the mix come opening day. He certainly could, but you never know. Um, I am encouraged by what the Mets might have uh, in a tandem or at least a, a platoon, a, a versatile platoon in Beatty and Ronnie at third base. And, you know, looking into the future, if Ronnie is going to develop into this type of player where he can change the game with a swing and a bat, a swing of the bat and his athleticism can change a game. And, you know, all these boxes are being checked off. Um it makes it really tough to move them. <laughs> it does. It definitely does. And that's why, you know, so the way that I think about it, if you kind of compare it, right, like East Coast Dodgers was the goal here, uh, competitive every single year, uh, always in the mix for a championship, lots of appearances in the NLCS, a handful of World Series appearances since Guggenheim has come on. If you look at it, kind of where we are in the cycle, right, like, 
when the when Guggenheim first came in for the Dodgers, they had to spend a lot. They took on a lot of big contracts. Um, Adrian Gonzalez, the uh, the Carl Crawford contract, those were uh, Josh Beckett. Those were kind of um, the cost of doing business, right? Like they're going to spend, and and they've kept spending. But if you look in recent years, they have made so many shrewd trades that have allowed them to uh, trade from that surplus of great prospects. They have a great player development system. They've turned a lot of castoffs from other places, Muncie, Turner, into really valuable pieces for the big league club. Um, and, you know, they missed on some too, right? Like uh, the Josh Fields for O'Neill Cruz trade, like th- that kind of – You are on Alvarez too. Yeah, uh, Jordan Alvarez. Um, oh, it was Jordan Alvarez for for Josh Fields, and then Tony Watson for O'Neill Cruz. There you and, go. Tony and- Watson. He, I, I I might have written an article or two about the Mets going after Tony Watson a few years ago. I'm not sure. He was a really valuable piece for them in that bullpen. I'm pretty sure they went to the World Series that year. But still, like uh, you know, anytime that you trade like an extremely tooled up uh, kid there's a chance that they're going to come up and, and become a, a, you know, a, a phenom, like in the way that um, that O'Neill Cruz has. But I, I think that positioning yourself in a way that you have so much surplus also puts you in position to, to make the Mookie bets trade, right? Like that they, they gave up a good amount, but they didn't have to give up that much because they knew that they, would have the financial resources to to re-sign him in a way that Boston wasn't willing to. And yeah. so I, I think that the Mets are in a, in a position where they're building up the farm and they could be in the spot where, you know, say this summer that if the Angels are in fifth place and they've they they realize that they're not going to be able to re-sign Otani, maybe they're just looking for whatever the best return is going to be to be able to re-engineer this thing on the fly to at least give Mike Trout an opportunity to play in some meaningful games in the next couple of few years. And I don't think there's anybody better suited right now than the New York Mets in terms of having guys that are in the high minors or have uh, broken in with the club that are movable expendable pieces for somebody who is a true uh one of one superstar you know um i wouldn't say anything's out of the realm of possibility and the mets are certainly in a position to to make some really really big moves if they wanted to i guess my concern would lie where i guess if you were to go out and, and make a big move and kind of you know pair your farm system down to um not to its foundation, but really take out some very, very cornerstone-like pieces. You know, I'm not sure that the Mets could recover so quickly from that. Um, you know, I'm sure they would. They have a good scouting department. They draft well. They develop. They've started to really develop even better than they were, and they've developed. They've been developing pretty well for a bit now. Um, I'm and and kind of turning back to the Dodgers East that you were talking about. You know. Look at the deal they made for Miguel Rojas. They threw in Jacob Amaya, who I've had an eye on Amaya since he came in. He came in with Miguel Vargas, I believe, um, with the Dodgers. And, you know, Amaya is not a extremely highly regarded guy. He's certainly not Miguel Vargas, if you're looking at that, um, at that organization, the Dodgers organization. But, you know, moving solid pieces for, 
you know, win now pieces that are going to make your team better and in the, in the immediate future. You know, I think that's probably what the Mets are more geared towards this year. And, you know, you never want to turn your eyes or turn, turn a blind eye to an opportunity that's going to be going to make your, your team better now and later. Just, it's got to be like that perfect storm for me to move one of these guys. And I think that Ronnie's probably moving his way into that, uh, that realm of, uh, of Beatty's and, of and, and Alvarez's that are, you know, quote unquote, untouchable. But again, you see an Otani out there, even a Mike Trout, even if the angels are going to make a push at Otani, but they have to do something. What if make, what if Mike Trout wants out? And, and they've, you know, we've heard whispers of that and that probably not directly from him ever. He's like, you know, buttoned up to the T like that, but yeah. ultimate stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what if he wants out? Like, yeah, you're going to give up everything for Mike Trout and, and you'll do it with a smile on your face. So, you know, I don't want to put my heels in the sand as far as, you know, moving prospects, but you know, the brighter the future gets for the Mets as an organization, as a system, the tougher these decisions are going to be, man. I'm glad I'm not in the uh, in the driver's seat. Sure, and I think the the Mets. To your first point, I'll, I'll push back a little bit. I think they are pretty well suited right now to be able to to rearm and, and restock fairly quickly. The way that they're recruiting, or well, scouting the uh, the um, international market now, the way that they are, and they've now this is uh, for what, two, three kind of front office configurations that they've drafted uh, and amateur scouted extremely well. Uh, not, I, yeah, that, that's uh, that's an elite staff who's yeah. amateur scouting. That's an elite staff. Yeah, it's it's one of the best in the game. And, and you can look all around. This team has plenty of homegrown talent. And so I think that the Mets are really well suited to, to keep – drafting well to keep self-scouting really well. That's an incredibly important uh, trait in the front office. Um, one interesting thing that uh, one of our uh, friends of the show, Jacob Resnick tweeted out today, uh, it was just a bit from Billy Epler when he was on uh, the ESPN podcast uh, or a broadcast today. And he was talking about bringing in uh, Eric Jagers as the director of pitching yeah, and, uh, the, the director of pitching development. I was talking a little bit about that on Twitter this weekend, bro. Uh, go ahead. I want to see. I didn't see Jacob's tweet, but I'm sure it's great stuff. Yeah, well, Jacob said that uh, it's um, that he was quoting Billy, but to to create connecti- connectivity uh, between the the majors all the way down to the Latin American uh, complex leagues and uh, with the amateur scouts when they're looking at the draft. So. Um, and this was interesting because it also paired with something that Kylie McDaniel was saying. Uh, it, it's not necessarily that um, there are some front offices that just don't get it and others that do, uh, although there's higher hit rates if you look. Um, it, it's more that the certain front offices are geared towards a certain type of player. And having a consistent organizational philosophy, uh, which the Mets do now, I think that that makes it a little bit easier to restock the cupboard if you're in a position to make a trade that is going to make your team uh, that much better, which is why I didn't have a problem with, you know, what the Padres did going after uh, Juan Soto. If you can get guys like this who are kind of all world talents, so young, 
um, that they're able to just fundamentally change your lineup, make it deeper, and, and really just make pitchers worry about facing you. I think that that's just um, it's worth it. And, and um, at the same time, it's like important to be able to spend to keep them, and it's important to be able to restock. And I, I think that the Mets are well suited to do both of those. I I find it very tough to disagree with anything you're saying right now. Uh, you know, I, I think losing a core piece of their system right now, uh, uh, you know, moving a Beatty, moving a Mauricio, you know, unlikely, but moving an Alvarez, you know, one piece, I think that you're right. I think, you know, you slide right in, but, you know, look at, if you look at the, the, the Soto deal, who was that? That was Hassel. That was, um, James Wood. James uh, Wood, two Gore. absolute studs. Mackenzie Gore. I mean, you, you're taking blue chip pieces from pretty much all levels of your system, shipping them for one guy. Is the trade-off worth it? Yeah, I would say it probably is. And I'm not like – like I said earlier, I'm, I'm not super concerned that the Mets wouldn't bounce back from a deal like that system-wise. I'm just, you know – I, I like the idea of sustainability. I'm curious to see if the Padres can and, – and keep in mind, they came into this with a stocked farm system. I know that the rankings have dropped in recent years just because they've moved so much, but the pedigree of the of, of the of the farm system that they have has really hasn't dipped that much. You still see these studs just pop up out of nowhere. Who was it? They just sent over to uh, – uh, Milwaukee possibly this year. Maybe it was last year. I can't I can't remember his name now, but you know, this is a guy a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, a couple of heads were turning about him. And now he was a he was a major piece. I wish I could remember his name. Gosh darn it. But you know, I, I do think the Mets could recover. And I but I, ultimately I think it it lies. Will this make the team better now and later? And and the more options the better, I guess. Yeah, so why don't we uh, take our break right here, and then uh, in the second half we can talk about some of the other things that we've seen so far. Yeah, yeah, we got quite a bit. We kind of got sidetracked with the uh, with the prospect talk, which is always fun. All right, hang tight. Hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we are back. Uh, yeah, I, you know, having the Mets back on a daily basis is a great feeling. Um, it's still early in the in the in the spring, but yeah, you got to be feeling pretty good about where things are right now, right? Yeah, no, I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of the the group. Um, I really think that. Daniel Bogobeck's going to have a, a big year and seize control of that DH role. You know, I think that you know, above all, um, and we're going to get into the changes that we're seeing so far, but the shift or the the absence of the shift, I think that's going to make a huge difference for Daniel Vogelback. I mean, here's a guy who who spends, I believe, he saw 70, 
73 or 74 percent of his plate appearances last season were against the shift and he still had a uh weighted on base average of somewhere i want to say somewhere in the high 200s um which is not terrible against the shift that's you know that that's really not bad but now with that hole opened or at least guys less uh defense is less able to adjust um so precisely you know whether you want to pull your first baseman off the line, whether you want to keep your second baseman closer to the bag, however you want to shade that half of the field for Daniel Vogelback, you know, as long as the Mets hitting coaches are instilling in him a quicker bat, let's say if they're pulling him off the line, you know, get out ahead of it, put it down the line. And, and you know, it's going to give him so many opportunities to employ bat control. And, you know, some, but some fans or even some talent evaluators might look at a bigger, a bigger sized athlete and be like, Oh yeah, well, you know, where's the bat speed there? You know, quickness of hands is that's, that's, it's universal. You can have the, the, the biggest, you know, most portly guy in the world. He might have lightning fast hands and just know how to control his body to be a professional athlete. You have to be that. And for Daniel Vogelback, I think he has that. He has that bat speed. He has the ability to track pitches. I wish I could remember who wrote the article this week, but somebody pointed out Daniel Vogelback's kind of passive approach at the plate. Gosh, I want to say it was the Daily News, and I'm sorry for not crediting this, but it just popped in my head. But if Vogelback does have a certain approach, and if he's taking what the defense gives him, and he's just putting the bat on the ball, with that type, with the kind of torque that he has, with the type of swing that he has, and with the, you know, overwhelming evidence of where his ball's going, yeah, I really think that he can really be a huge, huge asset for the Mets this year. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get long winded, but no. I've been thinking about Bogey all weekend. I really have. I think he's going to be big. Well, yeah, I, and so with him, I I think that. Of course, he has the great eye. He has a great feel for the zone. I hope that he'll just cut it loose a little bit more. Like a, a ground ball in in with the, the shift rules now, it's not as likely to just be a ground out for him. So I'd like to see him just hit the ball. And if he sees something that he mostly likes, just cut loose because he might end up running into one anyway. But But I think every time he gets the bat on the ball, you have a pretty good chance of him being productive. And, um, and I think he looks great and I'm, I'm excited to see what he does this year. I I think that ended up being a a really solid move to bring him in last year. Um, Everyone kind of looks pretty trim and fit. I love what the, uh, what the organization's doing as far as nutrition and off season training programs. I think it's really working for these guys, by the way, Eric Samolski from AM New York. And, you know, shame on me for not knowing that because once I saw it, I said, oh, I absolutely remember this now. But um, check out the article. And if not, check out the guys at AM New York. Eric and Joe do a really, really good job uh, covering pretty much all New York sports over there. But, you know, with so much going on as far as guys getting the hang, you know, get just getting a rhythm, um, we saw – Pete and and you know the pitch clock thing is one thing, but Pete's kind of embracing it. We saw him sprint off the field, uh, sprint off the field because he knew who's leading off and he wants to be ready. And he knew what he led off the inning with a home run. That was the Mets' uh, home opener. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
the adjustments that are going to need to take place, and this is on all sides, as far as the pitch clock, I think that's um, it's one I should ask: Are you a fan of what we're seeing so far? Uh, so today's game, there were 19 runs scored, and it was still under three hours. Hot uh, dog! That's amazing. I, yeah, it's, to me that that is incredible. I think that how many pitchers? Wait, wait, wait. How, how many? I could pull it up right now. How many pitchers today? Total. I'm not sure. Probably like close to a dozen, right? I'm, we're gonna we're gonna take a look right now. I should have come prepared for this, but that's my fault. So, but I, I think that getting that amount of baseball in two three hours means that I'm going to watch uh, almost all of the the West Coast games that I can, and I think that that's really exciting for for East Coast audiences. And I think that that's also like right up there with getting rid of blackouts and making the game more visible being able to get uh families to the ballpark a little bit more is just having uh earlier end times to games because i think that that's going to make sure that that kids can stay up and watch it and that's really how you grow the game i i think it's all of those elements that kind of go together so so far i like it i would like to see a little bit of discretion especially in late game situations i don't want to see games end with a called uh like time strike or a or you know walking in the winning run with a call Ooh, that, that was bad. You think that'll happen again? Or that's just kind of working out the kinks. I think it'll happen again in spring training and I'm hopeful that it's not gonna happen again in uh w- when the games actually count because I, I think that that's a pretty silly way to uh to go about it to officiate it. I think a warning probably does the same thing in terms of getting people to speed up. And I think that the pitchers have sped up. Um, one thing that I was looking at today, somebody tweeted it out, uh, but uh, a balk uh, trying to avoid the pitch timer violation. Uh, I'm hopeful that, that there will be enough time to adapt that that won't happen. But, you know, a lot of these guys, especially that are in camp right now, have been used to the clock because they've come through the minor league system. And so for them, I, I don't think it's going to be an issue for a lot of guys like Max. They're just fast workers to begin with. Um, but I, I think that there, there are those guys that, and I think we all know them, the Pedro Baez's of the world, like the, the human rain delay. I, I watched a video yesterday. Um, it was how many times can Jose Altuve hit a inside the park home run? Uh, and it was like a video before Pedro Baez delivers the next pitch in the 2016 NLCS. And so he's facing David Ross. Uh, Altuve was able to go around the bases seven times. <laughs> um, uh, pitching Ninja, Rob Friedman, uh, tweeted out another one today. It was same thing, Pedro Baez throwing one pitch, but it was Dodgers prospect Landon Knack throwing an entire half inning yeah. versus one pitch. He did it all. So there you go. I think that that's a really good argument for the pitch clock because it's not like the action has been eliminated. It's no. all the fluff that is being eliminated. I, as as cool as I thought it was to watch the Nomar thing, to watch Poppy spit into his hands after every pitch, and like that stuff I don't think is actually essential to the game. What people want to see, particularly like, you know, we've got to attract Gen Z people to watch baseball. And 
what people want to see is highlights. So the more highlights that you can pack into a single game, the more exciting that you can make two and a half hours, the better that I think that the long-term prognosis is for the game. And I, I pushed back on this stuff a lot when I first heard the ideas, but the fact is that this is not antithetical to baseball in the 1970s and eighties, the game moved at this speed. There wasn't all of this uh, kind of like, I won't even say showy, but just like, you know, nonsense. And so I think that that is a benefit to the game. And so that I think will end up being a positive change just to pick up, pick up the pace and give us more action in the same or less amount of time. Well, what I see happening is viewers watching from the start to the finish Major League Baseball cashing in on that via ad space. Oh, we're going to have shorter games, so our ads are going to cost more money now. <laughs> you know, I think that this is all just kind of um, it's a domino effect, of course, and this is all uh, naturally by by design. But it's one of those wild, perfect storms where even where you know capitalism is laughing at us, we're all kind of sitting there and enjoying it too. It's very, it's a very strange time, but. I think you're right. I think as far as gameplay and viewership and just appreciation of the game at its most basic level, I think it's going to be great. Um, there's certainly going to be aspects to look at and work out and ask questions about and, you know, but either way, I mean, going to bed on a work night before 10 o'clock, I can't wait, bro. I really can't wait. Yeah. Those West coast trips when they're out there for 10, 12 days, <laughs> and, uh, and we've got to fit in a recording like, yeah, that's a benefit to us. Um, the the last thing I'll say on this, uh, Howie Rose, I think, you know, is an icon to a lot of us. And he, yeah, he's been around the game forever. Right. And he says that that broadcasters will adapt, that the players will adapt, that the coaches and staffs will adapt. And so if he has that mindset that, that we're going to move the game forward by doing this, that we could possibly bring it to a, uh, a new audience while also maintaining a lot of the things that we love about baseball, which is to, to see great hits, more athleticism, to, to see a pitcher like mow down the heart of the order in a big spot. Those things are still going to be there. And if he can have that attitude, I think that a lot of us who uh, have been watching baseball for our lifetimes, which is, Less than how he's can uh, can feel the same way and approach it the same way. Well, I think you know as long as MLB will start cutting um, every bat into a TikTok post and <laughs> four posts a game, and uh, you do that all season, you're going to attract those uh, those Gen. What are they? What, what's the age of that? The I Zoomers. The, what are they? The Zoomers. The Zoomers. Yeah, Gen Z. The Zoomers. Oh Jesus! Do you know that? Um, they so officially, I guess I'll be forty this year. So officially, I'm actually a millennium, a millennial. But yeah. um, you know, of course, I think the term has changed a bit since they put it on us. Somebody referred to us as the Oregon Trail generation, and I love it. Yeah, well, so I, I'm uh, a little bit young for Oregon Trail, but uh, <laughs> but Hadley, my fiance, has been uh, playing the new version on the Switch, and uh, she's enjoying it. But her entire traveling party got wiped away in a uh in a river flood yesterday so uh, hey, it's probably a lot more humane than cholera going across the uh, across the family that's right that dysentery 
<laughs> as far as TikTok posts, I know Joey Votto will be in to do that. And, you know, he's kind of an old head. And again, if he's willing to adapt and he's dedicated his life to the game, I think I can do the same. And I, I think a lot of us can. Dude, I, I think that's the beauty of baseball is that at its core, it's never going to change. But it always seems to change, and and we all just kind of move with it. Like, do you remember the 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 uproar over the designated hitter? And I know there's some people that are never going to change their minds on the DH. Ninety nine point eight percent of baseball fans, National League baseball fans, I, I would say right about right around that number, honestly stopped caring after a couple of weeks, and it, it's great, it, you know. I think Trevor May ha- made some good points, and I don't have his tweets in front of me. And hearing a player's perspective on things, especially a pitcher's perspective, is probably important. But otherwise, I mean, this is – it has the potential to be very good for the game on many different levels. Um, I wanted to talk about Manny before we finish up. you got a couple of minutes. Yeah. So any Mets fans who had dreams of Manny Machado coming to Queens – uh, when he opted out next season. Reuniting with, with Buck Walter. Yeah, reunite with Buck. Um, just, you know, take another step in his cha- in his journey. And, you know, it would have been a pretty cool chapter, I think. But um, also a very big Manny fan, so I'm biased here. But he, of course, signed an 11-year, $350 million extension to stay in San Diego. Um the Mets, Mets fans who had their eyes on him, of course, you know, now they have to pivot. But the Mets, and now especially looking at Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio, who you have to assume will be getting reps at third base at some point. This really gives, and of course, you know, Beatty first and foremost. It gives the Mets the opportunity to almost give get a glimpse into the future with these two. Um, do you foresee them really buying in on the process with whether it's Beatty, whether it's him and Mauricio, whatever, as far as development at the big level, if as soon as they warrant it, of course, or do you yeah. see them pivoting towards another third baseman to kind of bridge that gap? Uh, well, I, I mean, well, I think going into next year, of course. Yeah, I, I think we'll we'll get a chance to find out, right? There's going to be injuries. There's going to be opportunities. And I think with Beatty in particular, this was going to be the collateral damage of signing Correa, right? Is that Beatty was going to have to – he was going to be blocked at third base and he was going to have to learn left field. Well, if uh, now that that's no longer the case, now that Machado can't be the case in the future, there's really like a, a period here. That there's a one-year audition – He's not really blocked by Eduardo Escobar. Escobar might end up being moved to the uh, the outfield. Um, that's somewhere where he played when he was with the Twins uh, on occasion. It's somewhere where the uh, the national team is going to play him here in the uh, in the World Baseball Classic. So he's been getting some reps out there. I think that there is a real opportunity for somebody to take this job, and and there's a whole year really where where we're going to see um, whether somebody is going to perform at high enough level to earn it. And I think that it's a huge spot, right? Like that's a position where not only do you need to have really solid defense uh, and, and throwing arm, but you're going to have to mash and you're going to have to hit a lot to, to lock down that position. Not to say that 
you know, Eduardo Escobar has necessarily done that all the time, but that is the expectation of a third baseman. And so uh, is on a, on a championship caliber club. So if Beatty is able to do that, if Mauricio is able to do that, if Vientos is able to do that, we'll see. I, I think that Beatty has come into this year locked in. I am so excited to see what he's going to do. He looks great. He looks like he put on like 10, 15 pounds of muscle. I'm, I'm really excited to see where this goes for the next few weeks in camp. He's going to have a lot of regular opportunities and where this goes over the, uh, the length of the season, right? 162, it's such a marathon. Uh, and, and so I think that we're going to learn a lot about where the Mets, their base and where their plans are going forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if, if Escobar struggles again, you have to think Beatty is going to move right in. And if that confidence level is there, I mean, by the looks of it, he came into spring extremely confident. Um, but again, this is a up and down ongoing battle for any professional, anybody in any walk of life. You know, there's ups and downs. You, you, you roll with it. But especially in baseball, because you got the opposition just, you know, it's their job to cat and mouse you to death. So, um, you know, Beatty's going to have to adjust. He's going to have to keep his chin up while Major League pitching is probably going to do their best to pick him apart. He's a really, really talented young hitter. Over and over again, right? Like he'll he'll adapt. They they will change how they uh, attack him. They're still doing it to Pete. They're still doing it to Pete today. Yeah, and they'll keep doing it, and, and that's that's uh, what baseball is, right? There's the old Terry Collins quote, which I love. Uh, there are two types of people in this game: those who have been humbled, and those who will be. So, CC uh, <laughs> with a freaking gem. I almost cursed. <laughs> that's an awesome quote. I never heard that. Yeah, and, and so I, I think um, I think Brett is built for it. He's got the pedigree. He's showing it so far over just a, a few games. Uh, he had flashes last year, yeah. and uh, I'm excited. I hope he takes the job and runs with it. That would be really great for the organization. Be huge. It would be huge. Hey, did you happen to? I know you were talking about the expectations of third base. Did you happen to read the uh, article in the Athletic? I want to say Will Salmon, um, part of the team with Tim Britton covering the Mets at the Athletic. I want to say he had a hand in it. Um, the expectations of center field these days. And if you haven't read it yet at The Athletic, check it out. I'm sure they still have a special going on if you're not a subscriber. Highly suggest it. I got mine for a dollar a month for a year. Can't beat that. Anyway, this is not an athletic plug, I promise. <laughs> um, the expectations of a what they call a two-way center fielder. They even had a quote from Carlos Beltran in there. Like, There's not guys who can go out who can rake and go get it anymore. And I, th- I think that was the quote or close to it. Great quote. But, you know, the evolution of positions is wild, man. Like, you know, shortstop and center field, those used to be, you know, that used to be it. Every kid, you either want to be a shortstop or a center fielder. Yeah. Um, if you're not a pitcher, of course. Of course. <laughs> and my crazy ass wanted to be a catcher. So anyway, um, it, it's, you know, it's the evolution of, of the position, I guess. Are, do you consider center field to still be a a power position? I mean, you could look at first base too to, to go back a second, just as a position that's kind of 
adapted over the years. But, you know, center fielders, I think you see more and more guys who are, you know, speed demons. You look at Harrison Bader with the Yankees. You know, who He has some pop, but, you know, this is not the center fielder that the center fielders that we grew up with, the center fielders that are, are you know, our parents or, you know, our older friends or relatives who were baseball fans grew up with. Yeah. The Ken Griffey juniors of the world. Like, yeah, it's not, it, maybe it's not the star position anymore, but I still think it's just as vital. And the, the, the I guess the prerequisites really haven't changed. You still have to kind of check all those boxes. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if uh, the like kind of just plugging bats into the corners has made it so that you really need a defensive first uh, center fielder because somebody that has enough range to cover like, uh, you know, a shade over into right center and left center in a a way that maybe they weren't expected to in the past. Uh, And so I I think that that is a, uh, probably is part of the reason, but those were my favorite players. Like I, I loved um, athletic center fielders who could mash. I loved Ken Griffey Jr. Um, Even and- a, less, a less heralded name. How about Steve Finley, man? Like he didn't, he wasn't hitting 500 home runs, but he had some pop to him and he played some of the best center field I've ever seen. Yeah. Kenny Lofton, oh, uh, Beltron, I loved. Shout to Jolly Olive. He's like the biggest Kenny, off- Kenny Lofton fan I know. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited to read the article. I haven't read it yet, but... Um, it's good stuff, yeah. Uh, it, I'm I'm really enjoying Will Salmon's coverage, by the way. But again... Not, Athletic not- has a lot of good writers. We had um, <laughs> uh, Evan Drellick on, obviously, and, and yeah. they've got some real stars over there, so... Yeah, you know, <laughs> announcing everyone. Remember, there was like a, a couple of months there and everyone was just announcing they're joining the Athletic. That was Those were wild times. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Um, I'm looking at my list here. Oh, I got some notables from the first few ga- few games, and I'll just run through the list real quick. Uh, Pete and Yorme and Daniel Vogelback with three hits apiece. Uh, Max picked up five strikeouts and two innings pitched using a pitch com in his glove, which we did not get to. That's a shame. Um, I think we're going to keep an eye on that and maybe go a little more in depth. Jose Buto. I liked that he told Gelbs that now the pitcher is in control and he could work so fast if he wanted to. Oh, leverage, baby. It's all about leverage. Uh, <laughs> um, Jose Buto, four strikeouts in an inning and a third, uh, inning and two thirds. Um, he's shown off a new cutter this spring. And this is why actually I brought up Eric Jager's name uh, over the weekend. I would put dollars to donuts that Eric Jager and his new initiatives um we'll see a lot more of this guys developing pitches and using them in games and and really changing their dynamic as pitchers and as we said cat and mouse hitters have to adjust to that stuff especially you know what if he's instilling it in major league you know proven guys who the league has a book well not anymore they don't because now he has a new pitch that maybe they haven't anyway they can go a bunch of different ways and it all starts with uh with Buto there. I got John Curtis, I got Eric Orzi. Um I can't read my chicken straff, my chicken scratch there. Uh Jeff Brigham, I love his slider. Uh Steven Nagosek honestly could be a dark horse to um 
fill in, uh, eat up some innings on the big club. And I think that he's probably ready for it too. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just wanted to go through the rest of my little list here before we, uh, before we sign off. Um, I know we're working on guests as we get closer and closer to the season. Um, we'll have to put some pins in those and we'll keep you guys posted. Anything cooking on your end, Taryn? I know work is probably a, a monster right now. Yeah, but um, I'm, I'm, I got, I have spring fever and I'm so excited that yeah. baseball is back and, and that I can just throw it on the TV. It's uh, it's a welcome sight. I'm really excited. Yeah, man. All right, guys. Well, you know, we'll be back next week. Uh, if not sooner, if there's some big news, but you can count on us and uh Yeah, otherwise, you know the sign-off. It's Let's Fucking Go Mets. We'll see you guys next time. Peace.